I'm Tyler Smiley. I'm John Morrison. And this is the Rooted and Grounded podcast. Rooted and Grounded creates theological content to grow the church in our knowledge of God in order that we would grow in our love for Him and for our neighbor. I'm glad to be doing this Rooted and Grounded podcast with you, John. I'm excited as well. It's a joy to my heart. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. So I think we'll just spend some time at the beginning talking a little bit about what we hope Rooted and Grounded podcasts will be, what we want it to be, what our hopes are, what the aim of it is. Um, yeah, so, I mean, first you said it pretty clearly in the, in the tagline that you created for us, that create theological content. So we know that the first step is good biblical theological content that we would like to discuss, have a conversation about. It's not always explicitly scripted out what we'll say, but we've got some general directions on where we want to go with this. But it's in the context of the local church. Why is that important for us to do theology in the context of the local church? As I think we're going to talk about later, uh, if we get there, I think theology or good theology, Christian theology is a communal activity. Uh, it's, a, it's a team sport, we'll say, that we don't, we don't do this alone because we are, uh, we need the wisdom of other people. I mean, we could talk about it from the effects of sin in our lives where we're blind in our Christian walks to our own sin, but we also know that sin blinds us uh, in our minds. It dulls our understanding of the things of God, and so we need help. We need others to help us uh, in our and the Lord has provided the church as the primary means of that structure, that community, that help for us to, to do theology well, to study Him and to learn more about Him. Well, before I, I get the cart before the horse in this, let's just go through the seven theological virtues that will help others understand what we mean and think by, uh, by theology, what we mean by that, what we think is... Um, theology done well. All right. So seven theological virtues, and we start with this, that good theology is biblical. Number one, good theology is biblical. Seems like a good starting point. I thought so. That's why I put it at the top of the list. Uh, Yeah. So we, we see, obviously, theology is about the study of God, knowing who He is, knowing what He's done. But the only way we know that is because He's revealed Himself to us. And the primary source of that revelation, the foundational source of that revelation, the authoritative source of that revelation is the Bible. It's Scripture. And so if we want to think about God, if we want to consider who He is, ultimately we are going to Scripture um, as our only, as our guide. It's our only rule of faith and practice. And when we read through Scripture from beginning to end, you come to see very clearly in the New Testament that Jesus Christ is the fullest revelation of God. God made known to us in the flesh in Christ Jesus. So that's how God ultimately and finally makes himself known to us through the person of Jesus Christ. So John calls him the Word, and the Word has become flesh. Um, You know, Colossians 1, I'm thinking of these texts that show us that Christ is the 
revelation of God to us. John 14. If John you've 14, seen me, you've seen the Father, right. he tells, yeah. mm-hmm. tells the disciples. Uh, but the Bible then, for those who weren't on earth when Jesus Christ was alive, how else would we know him? Right. So I think it's, it's popular to try to say, we don't need the Bible, we just need Jesus. Uh, that sounds very spiritual. Uh, but we don't know Jesus apart from Scripture. That is how God in His wisdom has chosen to reveal Him to subsequent generations, is through the apostolic witness. And so we look to Scripture as the basis for our faith, for our understanding of who God is, because that is how God's chosen to reveal Himself. So maybe in the future we'll record some podcasts on how Scripture reveals God to us, or maybe even the sufficiency of Scripture, or other such related topics of Christ in Scripture. I think that's an excellent idea. That would be a good idea. Maybe we should do that. All right, well, let's keep going, because I want to get through the all seven on the list. And so, and then if we have time at the end, we'll come back and unpack a little bit more of them. In okay. So, number one, good theology is biblical. Number two, good theology is Trinitarian. Yeah, so we're... When we're thinking about rooting ground and what we're doing, we're unashamedly Christian in our belief, and we say, the, in order for theology, to, in order to think rightly about God, we need to think in Trinitarian terms, because God in Scripture has revealed Himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so, if we are going to do theology well, if we are going to think rightly about God, we need to think about Him in the fullest sense of who He is, who, of who He's shown Himself to be. So this is who God has revealed himself to be. This is who he is as he's revealed himself in the Bible yes. through Scripture. And keeping the fullness of God in mind is how you start good theology. Is part of it us uh, being clear that throughout the history of the church there have been problems with this? I'm thinking particularly with... Um, early Christian issues with the God of the Old Testament and of the New Testament mm. and of, mm-hmm. of this, this idea of pitting against the God of the Old Testament with Christ as revealed in the New Testament and, and this sort of thing. So we want to say all of this is God as he has revealed himself in Scripture, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that's where we have to start. Right. And I think in, our, in a more pluralistic setting, in, the, in this age we live, we want to be clear that we are... This is what makes us distinctively Christian, is our belief in a God who is Trinity. And so while it is wonderful, in a sense, that there are other religions with other gods, and many try to find commonalities, from the get-go we want to say there is something distinctive about what we believe about God, that He is not just another God, but He is the one true and living God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. That's a good place to start, the first two. And that takes us right to number three, doesn't it? Number three, then, says, of the seven theological virtues of rooted and grounded, good theology is doxological. Doxological. That's a good word. Well, Unpack that for us. Just trying to to give give the listeners their money's worth here with some some good word. Yeah, so good theology, we'd say good theology leads to doxology, or good theology leads to worship. Most people, if they were raised in church, are familiar with the doxology, right? Praise God from whom all blessings flow, right? 
doxology is about worshiping God. So we'd say that good theology affects us, right? It affects in this our affections, our hearts, that it is driving us to worship God. That as we're seeing who God is, as He, we contemplate the Creator and Redeemer of the universe, the one who sustains all things, that we should be staggered, that we should be in awe of Him, and that He is indeed, as we discover who He is, He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of all honor and praise. And so theology should be an inherently worshipful task. It seems that... um yeah, that's great. I like that. And you've unpacked that and described it well. Because I think you see in Scripture itself that worshiping God is is rightly understanding who He is, which is what you're saying, that as you begin to know God more and more and understand who He really is, then it will lead you to worship. I think we would also say that worshiping God is, worshiping God is where, where you start also to be able mm. to understand who he is. So, again, as you grow more and more in your understanding of him, if you're really understanding that according to biblical standards, then it will lead you to worship him. But we also say you you approach the work of theology as a work of worshiping God. So, so I think of Proverbs. You know, Proverbs right. 1, Proverbs 9, uh, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Yes. So I think that's what it. I think that's what the author is getting at. That if if we worship and fear and give right reverence to God, then we're beginning to understand who, that that shows we're beginning to understand who He really is. Yes. So will you do what your theology professor did in seminary and begin each podcast by singing a hymn to us? He loved starting us out by singing a hymn. Now part of it was he had a great baritone voice. And I think he liked just showing that off to us. <laughs> so he would always want to start us off with a song that would really highlight his ability to sing baritone because he was a rather slender man mm. and short in stature, and you would not have expected that voice to come out of that man. It's uh, always a surprise. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well maybe, maybe a few, few podcasts down the road we can... Do you, are you baritone? I think it'll take me a while to get comfortable enough to sing in this podcast. Well, just remember, the good news is no one is watching you. That's true. Yeah. That's true. And perhaps by that point, no one will be listening to you either. So we we could be there. As we say often, we have a real face for podcasts. Well, it's true. (laughs) True. So uh, good theology is doxological. It begins with a fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, It leads us into a worship of God. That's good theology. That's theology done well. Number four, good theology engenders love. Good theology engenders love. You want to unpack that one a little bit for us? Yeah, so thinking about uh, what is happening in theology, what, what does good theology do to us and for us? And I think it grows us in our love. Um, so I'm thinking here sort of Jesus and the greatest commandment that it grows us in our love for God. So this is really rooted in the worshipful aspect of it, that as we come, we begin in worship, but as we come to see who God is more and more, we worship Him more. But I think tied to that is seeing who God is, seeing that this is the Lord our God, the rock 
of our salvation, our refuge, our very present help in time of trouble. It grows us in our love for Him. But tied to that is, right, when Jesus says, and the second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself, that as we grow in our love for God, that we grow in our love for others and for our neighbor. And so I think as we see who God is, as we grow in our love for Him, then we grow in our love for others. I'm thinking of 1 John 3, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers, that even God and what he does in history, the fullness of his revelation in Christ and his work in Christ on our behalf, displays God's love for us. It just makes it clear that that's God's aim, is to love mm. his people. And understanding our Father, you know, understanding God, ought to be building that up in us. And... Uh, yeah, is there a reputation that Christians may have, um, some Christians may have to, like, being hardened to people? What hmm. would be the opposite of, of this? Like, what would be an example of someone uh, thinking theologically or, or what we might say doing theology and it not developing love in them? Yeah, I think there's a there's a sophomoric way that we think about theology. Like, we can, we can study theology and sort of get to that sophomore, that wise fool level, where we think we've achieved something, where now we really understand, especially as oh, we look back on our youth or our past and say, all those people, they didn't understand what I know now. And we really haven't gotten to the depths of understanding, because I think... As you push through that and you grow in knowledge, you realize, oh, I, I really don't understand that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just the way you, the more you study a subject, the more you come to see how little you know. Yeah. Or you may say, I know a lot about this one particular area, but then, ooh, if, if it took me this long to know this much about X, imagine what I don't know about A through Y. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. There you go. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know. Z. There's an alphabet in there somewhere. <laughs> 26 letters. X, Y, Z. I was trying to do the letter before X. And that the, was that, good. That's W, right? Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, uh-huh. I just went the other way. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, I'm still learning Your the point alphabet is well with my proven. toddlers. Your point Thank is you. well proven. Yeah. I think in the same way that we say good, good theology is doxological, that it leads to a, a worship of God, good theology engenders love. I think we would say that on two ways. As you've made it very clear so far, it's kind of two planes. Our love for God and our love for others. So we say good theology leads us to love God more and more. That's maybe not always the case for people who maybe start to get uh, really serious about reading Mm. and thinking critically about God and the Bible that it may not always well up in them a love for God. So they may think more of the too much of the task of doing it and less of the relational mm. development that's that's happening when we do th- when we learn about who God is. If you're not seeing this God as an ultimately good and loving God as the Bible portrays him from beginning to end, loving his people, giving of his people, rescuing his people, saving his people, coming down for his people. I mean, all this over and over again. And if it's not stirring up in us a love for that God, we, you know, we we may just not 
be approaching the practice of right. theology well. Yeah. So it's, I think at that point, it's either a problem of content, right, that we don't understand who God is, or it's a problem of method, that somehow we are now treating uh, theology like physics, right? This is just a class I have to get through, and so I'm going to read this book, yeah. and I'm going to pass the test, and I'm going to move on. And so I think, yeah, it, it ends up, it does become a matter of the heart. Why am I doing this, and how am I doing it, and why are the things that Scripture says should be true of me if I'm seeking after God and growing closer to Him are not becoming true? Yeah. And then on this sort of horizontal plane, this is leading us into a deeper and deeper love for our, for our neighbor, who the Bible seems to define as pretty much everybody, all yeah. human beings, who are all created in God's image and are, uh, who bear the image of God. Um, by the very nature, that this grows our love for other people, that we would care for them and love them even so much to share truth with them and care for their physical needs mm. and, uh, and, and so on and so on. Most importantly, I think, you know, making sure we're intentional to care for people and their physical needs and share the gospel, doing both of these on this horizontal plane. But you and I are both, well, you're a professional historian because you have a degree and you're paid. Doesn't that make you a professional? Am I? But uh, am I paid to historic? Yeah, do history. Uh, I guess I get to teach history some. So yes, yes, I am. So Thank we're, you. We're both interested in history. Yes, there we go. <laughs> and so, of course, I can't think of this I, this idea of uh, engendering love with the love of God and the love of others without thinking of Augustine's. Oh, yeah. So Augustine twofold love. Yeah, from so Augustine's book on Christian doctrine or on Christian teaching is about like how you should teach the Christian faith. Yeah, how to read Scripture and how to teach and sort of basic Christianity to people. And this is from from the first book. Um, I think it's one thirty six forty. So anyone who thinks that he has understood the divine Scriptures or any part of them but cannot by his understanding build up this double love of God and neighbor has not yet succeeded in understanding them. That's good. That's helpful. Yeah, because we think of understanding as a purely cognitive thing. And Augustine's saying, and I think in line with Scripture, yep. that true understanding is going to affect your you and your totality. It's going to affect your heart. Yeah. That if you understand who God is, you will love God and you will love your neighbor. All right, let's keep pushing through because we got three more we've got to cover. I want to get them all. We may have to do a little bit more rapid fire here. Okay. Number five, good theology is practical. Yeah, so this is just our attempt to push against uh, people who hear a word that end in, ends in ology and assume that uh, this is only for a classroom setting and has really no importance in their everyday life. And we would agree... We'll just go ahead and go with some more historical figures. William yeah. Ames, uh, slightly less well-known than Augustine, but also historical A&M. He's an English Puritan, uh, taught theology in the Netherlands. Right? Yeah. Anyways, he said that theology, or as he called it, divinity, is the art of living well unto God. Or, yeah, is the art of living well unto God. Yeah. That, so theology is about life. It doesn't end by you reading a book and closing it, but it actually influences how you live every day. And I think that's that's tied intimately with this idea that it's creating love in us for our neighbor. 
Yeah. That, how much more practical can you be than that you would love those in need? So as we talk about these topics that we'll talk about through various um, discussions and, and podcasts, we'll try to be intentional ourselves and showing how we see this as being practical. But we want to make sure that for our listeners who are either preachers or teachers themselves, maybe in a small group setting, or even if they have children, mm-hmm. that as they train others in uh, thinking carefully and rightly about God and His Word, that they also think through how this impacts our daily lives. Absolutely. Number six, good theology is communal. Communal. Yeah, so we hit on this a little bit to start with, but it goes back to the nature of the Christian life, that we are not called to be Christian singular, but together as people of faith, those who are trusting in Christ, we make up the one body of Christ, that as Christians we are united to Christ, and as those united to Him, we form one body. And so as we think about God, as we seek to understand Him, we need the help of a community. And so we hit on this being the local church, right? This is your first resource. The church is your first resource for yep. that community, for reading the Bible mm-hmm. and sitting down with someone and saying, what does this mean? How does this apply to my life? Mm-hmm. How else would you think about community? Yeah, I think you would also think about the community you would find. Well, I mean, I want to say the first, I just think the primary one's got to be your local church. Okay. I mean, it's got to be the local right. church. Uh, meeting with people face-to-face and in flesh wherever that's possible. There may be some in parts of the world where they find themselves imprisoned, maybe, Mm -hmm. because of their faith and not able to be with others. And so we just pray for them and lament that with them. But so far as we are able, got to be with people reading God's Word together, community, local church, as God has established it. But then I think you also think about the books that you find, so good community through other books. Let me highlight something you said there. Yeah. Because I think you highlighted two things, that you, community, yep, and the, the importance of being face-to-face with other humans. And I think yeah. those are two things yeah. that we want to draw out, but I think worth highlighting that we value the high value we place on the local church, and we'll sort of unpack that as we go through this, but also just our understanding of wh- who we are as humans, uh, that God created us, we created us as good with physical bodies that he will redeem us, has redeemed us, and will raise us with glorified bodies into a new creation. There, there is something important about our physicality, um, or else Christ would not have come yeah. in the flesh. Yep. So those are two themes. You hit them quickly, but I think they're worth highlighting, and we're going to unpack more. Yeah. So, no, that's Tell good. me more about historical books. And then I think books, whether currently being written and read yeah, by others, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're okay. Okay. But uh, definitely historical books, uh, old books. I mean, I think about, I think about C.S. Lewis oh, and his mm-hmm. intro to Athanasius on the Incarnation, and how good that is. It's just so it's worth, it's worth its weight in gold, and you get in one purchase enough that is worth two books. I mean, that's what it feels like. In, on the Incarnation, Athanasius is so good. Oh, yeah. But Lewis's intro equally is good. You gave that at a Christmas party, by the way? It was a highlight of the Christmas party, I thought. You know, there was some confusion as it was being passed around that there may have been a gift card inside. It was actually the gift receipt, <laughs> uh, which I think some folks at the uh, Christmas party were disappointed. But those, the, whoever ended up with it got a real treasure. I think so. Yeah. 
so, but I think of Lewis in On the Incarnation, his intro to that, and how he talks about the importance of reading old books and how reading old books is can be like the warm sea breeze that blows through and is cleansing, uh, you know, to those things around it. And so with us, reading old books can like cleanse our minds of the clutter mm. um, that may fill our minds up with thinking all of our questions are the only important or relevant questions. I think, no, there have been people who are doing this a long time, and those questions are relevant for us too. And he highlights in that, that it's not just that they're old, but it's that they're from a different age and a yeah. different time. And so he said, if we could read books from the future, that would be equally as helpful. But unfortunately, that's not an Alas, option. Alas, we cannot. <laughs> and I think also this communal idea going back into history reminds us that the body of Christ is not... It, it's expansive in terms of our geography, that it covers the whole earth, but it also goes through time as well as space, that it encompasses believers from through the centuries who have trusted in Christ. Through the centuries, geographic uh, um, breadth there, reading from other regions, other places, um, rounding out, all this kind of thing. Uh, Charles Spurgeon had a great, great quote in on commenting and commentaries, mm-hmm. uh, where he talked about this, um, the temptation to overly value our current day's uh, thoughts. Mm. Well, for him, you know, his own, even then, we see this now in our time. Yes. We, this temptation to overly value what we produce. We're the smartest, we're the best, we have access to most knowledge, all this kind of et cetera, et cetera, uh, which... Um, as far as access, some of these things may be true, but even for Spurgeon in his own day, he was seeing this with people, and he he made the quote to the effect of how much we value the work of the Spirit in our age and how much we discount the work mm. of the Spirit in previous ages. It's the same God at work, right. and, and uh, these old historical books can help us understand uh, who God is. All right, there's one more. One more. Of the seven theological virtues, number seven, good theology is eschatological. So that's the payoff if you made it this far. That's right. You got new words in present. Yeah. So eschatology, the study of the last things. But we were just trying to remind ourselves in this that good theology doesn't stop with the present. I mean, sort of to our previous conversation where we have blinders on, where we only see the six inches in front of us, uh, this reminds us that there is a hope that is coming that Christ will return, and He will make all things new. There will be a new creation in which we will live forever. For those of us who are trusting in Christ, we'll live forever in God's presence. And so good theology, right, it helps us look backwards and understand our faith through the lens of other believers throughout history, but it's got to send us forward. It has to have a hopeful component that there is something coming. There is someone coming who is bringing a new creation that is far better than anything we could hope. Uh, so there's an element of there has to be an element of hope in our theology, and even in our even in uh, the Lord's prayer, say Your kingdom come, Your will be done. And we we see in the ministry of Christ that God's kingdom has come. It is near. It is it is here and among yes. us. So we think about the the coming and fullness of God's kingdom one day, and we set our hopes, like you said, towards that. That's what we long for. That's that's what we look towards. Uh, and even now, we know that this uh, eschatological focus impacts now. You know, as we set our minds on the things that are coming, 
it certainly influences how we live in the now. But then we also live in that reality now. So it's that's a great reminder for mm. us to not get so wrapped up in our own time. I'm glad you included that one. That's a good one. Well, that was your contribution. Let's let's let the listener understand that is Tyler's contribution. Uh, the one name, of many, but one, <laughs> one the, of many, but the, that one in particular was the name rooted and grounded. Uh, and sort of the key verse that we've liked to to use is Ephesians chapter 3. And I just want to read these few verses because I think it helps show um, a little bit of, of our approach and what we may be to hope to, to accomplish in these conversations with one another. Ephesians 3.14, For this reason I, Paul, bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory... He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's Ephesians three fourteen through 21. Are your seven theological virtues a commentary on Ephesians three fourteen through 21? So they're, I think we drew them from... A, from Ephesians three fourteen through twenty one, that these are things built into this passage um, that right one it's biblical. Yep, it is in, in the Bible. It's in the there Bible. we go. Check. Uh, but just I mean, you start from the get go there with this trin- the trinitarian nature of the prayer. Yep, right, it's a prayer prayed to the Father uh, that w- we will mm-hmm. be strengthened through the Holy Spirit so that Christ, God the Son, may dwell in our hearts through faith. That's right. We see the three persons of the Trinity at work right there. It's doxological. I mean, the whole thing is, but at least at the end, 20 and 21, now to him who's uh, able to do far more abundantly than all we have, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. So he's worshiping and praising God, even in his prayer. It engenders love. Right, certainly it helps us see God's love for us in Christ. That this is his love, and that Christ will dwell in our hearts, that we have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Yeah. I love that phrase. Know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That's good. Uh, it's practical, certainly practical for Paul. I mean, he's, yeah. he's praying, he's caring for uh, the Ephesians. The Christians in Ephesus. Yeah, I mean his his love for them is just apparent throughout the New Testament, from his first encounter to the his time with the Ephesians elders in Acts twenty. Yeah, Acts twenty, is, the pastoral epistle, yeah. First Second Timothy. We just see his love for this church. Yeah, uh, it's communal. I mean, a lot of what you just said sort of applies to that. Yeah, but verse eighteen, right? That you may have strength to comprehend. And who are you comprehending with? You're comprehending with all the saints. All the saints. That yeah. this is a communal activity. It is something for the whole church. 
and it's helpful to remember, right? This isn't something for the some sort of academic elite, but this is for all the saints. Everyone in your church should be striving to think more deeply about who about God's love for us in Christ. Yeah. And it's eschatological. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Paul certainly is thinking eternally yes. through this. That the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Yeah. Uh, we would hope that the seven theological virtues would be helpful to people who are charged with teaching Scripture in a small group setting, in your home, with other friends and discipleship groups, that they would help you think through each passage of Scripture that you read, that they would be helpful to that end. They would continue to help to develop uh, our knowledge for God, but then our love for Him and for each other. I mean, th- those are all the things that we hope to be and, and that we hope this will help accomplish in other folks through this. Uh, I like how you summarized a lot of our thoughts about the topic of theology. We cannot know God apart from His gracious revelation of Himself to us in Scripture. We will not fully understand God, but we will seek to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The work of the theologian, and by which, that can be an intimidating word. I just want to be clear. Everyone's in some way or shape a theologian. They're doing theology. They're right. thinking. Anyone who's listening to this, I can assure you, is thinking about God. Yes, and in that's some way. that's what it is. It's about thinking God's thoughts after Him, considering who God is. Uh, and so, if you read Scripture, if you listen to a sermon, you are thinking about God. And then, as you pray, right, that is a an inherently theological task as you seek to apply who God is to your life. And as we grow more and more of our, in our knowledge of Him, uh, we know that we'll, we'll not fully understand God, which maybe will be a topic that we'll come back to later, but even in that, we'll still seek to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. Anything you want to add as we close our time up? No, I'm looking forward to this. I think this is, these are great conversations. Uh, I love any time we get to talk about the Bible and who God is, so... Glad we're sharing that with other people. That's good. Thanks so much for your time, John. Thank you, Tyler.